Now, before I read the text this morning, uh, I changed around some of what I was going to preach this morning because of um, what happened in Paris uh, on Friday. And so before I read the text, because the text has some to say uh, about that, I wanted to make some comments about the recent terrorist attack there in Paris. It's a, it's a tragedy, uh, of course, and unfortunately it's, it's one that's all too common in our world. Um, uh, they, they say that this is the worst single episode of violence in France, in that country, since World War II. And uh, that's saying something, isn't it? Um, last I saw, and it may have changed, I don't know, 129 people dead and over 350 uh, folks wounded, 99 of them very critically. And uh, so they're still unsure if, if that um, body count will, will rise or not. And such bloodshed, it breaks our heart. And uh, we should pray for Paris. Amen. And we have. And we will continue to pray for Paris. But you know, it's the brutality of that event and, and the shock uh, of it has eclipsed the news um, that the Islamic State also, on the same day, on Friday, uh, on the same day killed 26 people in Baghdad with um, another suicide attack. And then on, on Thursday, the day before, they claimed responsibility for twin suicide bombings in Beirut uh, that killed at least 43 people and wounded 200 more uh, in those attacks. And then um, many of you will remember, you might have forgotten, October the 31st, they bombed a Russian plane that crushed into uh, Egypt's Sinai Peninsula and uh, killed 224 uh, people. And you know, all of those things and the other things that we see happening in the world, um, all of it spells a disturbing pattern in our world around us. And it paints what, what is an apocalyptic picture picture of the last days and the kind of violence that um, that we're seeing in the world around us. And it's difficult for some to fathom the extent of the evil that motivates that kind of violence that is behind that kind of, um, those kind of attacks. And, and it's hard for some people to fathom that such evil things could continue to happen in a modern uh, society, in a modern world. And in fact, some of our own political leaders are in denial, are in denial, I think, about the malevolent intentions of those that are perpetrating those kind of crimes on the world. However, we understand, the church, so we understand that we live in a broken and a sinful world, don't we? We understand that it's the problem of sin that creates that kind of evil, and in fact, we understand that rather than taming the savage nature uh, of sin, in fact, most human solutions only only releases its rage in in distorted ways. And that's what we that's what we see is uh, the rage of sin uh, at work in the world around us. But that is that is not to say that we are hopeless. As thank you, Robbie. <laughs> So that is not to say that we are hopeless, amen? Because we as Christians are not hopeless, not at all, in fact. In fact, we, we possess, and this is what we've been talking about, that we possess the best hope for humanity. In fact, the only hope for humanity, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we possess 
the greatest hope for humanity, Jesus Christ, and, and the failure of every other human effort ought to reinforce our commitment to what is God's remedy, and that is salvation through, through Jesus Christ. It is, however, an urgent matter for us as citizens in this world, which I have which is what I've been attempting to say over the last several several weeks, that the harvest is close at hand. The time for reaping has come, and Jesus Christ is coming very, very soon. You know, for, for years, students of prophecy have um, students of prophecy have speculated about America's role in uh, the end times and in the eschatological events that are described in the Bible, and so many have have found America in certain places and said, well, I believe that's referring to America there, or that maybe this is a reference to um, America and, and her role in the last days. But the reality is that there's no clear reference to the United States of America uh, in Bible prophecy. So there's no clear reference, and, and it seems odd that a global superpower would just be overlooked by the Bible particularly a global superpower that has been so closely allied to the nation of Israel. You know, how could the Bible writers overlook the role that America would play in uh, the last days? But yesterday morning, I turned on the TV to watch uh, some news, get an update on the Paris uh, situation, which is something I, I, I've told you before. I don't do that as often as I used to. Every morning, I used to click on the news. I've stopped doing that. I don't watch it because I just get mad and depressed and angry, and then I have to pray through all over again. <laughs> so, so I'd rather pray and, uh, then, and then go about my day <laughs> and read the news maybe uh, later on. But yesterday I turned on the news because I wanted to get an update on what was going on in Paris, and they were talking uh, on that program I was watching, they were talking to an analyst that, um, that I've learned to respect and trust for her uh, insight, her keen insight into uh, personalities and people and, in, and into the world. And they ask her a question about America's response to the events in Paris. They ask her a question, and it was something like this. If France should ask uh, what advice, uh, what assistance could America give uh, during this period? And her response, the response that she made, it settled on me like something that almost seemed prophetic. I mean, when she said it, I thought, Wow. I mean, that's something uh, to have said that. She said, she said this, I don't, and this may not be exact, but she said this, I don't think Europe, she said, I don't think Europe will look to the United States for leadership in this issue. Now, just let that sink in for a second. She said, I don't think America's going to look to the United States for leadership. What, what she was saying was that the United States was no longer a, a leader in this area, that it the United States was not somebody that was to consult uh, on, on this issue. So it settled in on me as if it was something prophetic. It seemed to me we've come a long way since World War II when America liberated uh, France. Uh, America may not figure into eschatological events because um, America has lost its way and lost its will and uh, may not be a player uh, on that stage and at that level. And if, if that is the case, I'm not saying it is, I'm just saying it seems to me that that's a possibility. 
If that, if that is the case, then uh, we see more evidence every day that the stage is being set for the last day's drama. That the last days are playing out right before us on the evening news. And we see it happening all around. And now, it's not my point to scare you this morning because, as I've said, we have nothing to fear. We've got the hope of the gospel. Can somebody say Amen. We've got Jesus Christ, and so thank God for that. It is not a time for us to become discouraged or depressed. The Bible says we should look up because our redemption draweth nigh. Amen? So we have nothing to fear. We may have, we may have 50 more years. We may have 100 more years. Uh, we, we don't know, but we do know this, that the time of reaping has come. The harvest is upon us and that this day is a day for the good news. If ever the world needed the good news of the gospel, it's now. Amen. And we have been given that message. We have the opportunity to tell others about the hope that is in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we must do what we can to help the Lord of the harvest gather in those that he is calling to repentance in these last days. What should we do? Well, that's what we've been talking about. We should, first of all, pray. We need to pray like never before. Cry out to God and intercede for our nation and pray for revival, amen? So we must pray. God has told us we should pray. Number two, we are, we are commissioned to go. We must go into the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ and Preach the good news of God's grace and his good will toward, toward man. And then finally, finally, we are asked to serve. We're asked to serve. And that's what I want to spend a, a little bit of time talking about these next couple of weeks is serving in God's kingdom. So Matthew chapter 20, I want to read uh, the first seven verses and come back and make a few remarks on them, okay? But Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse number 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give to you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. Let's pray. Father, uh, we know that it is not for us, God, to know the day and the hour when Jesus Christ will return. Uh, we know that you know. And uh, we feel like in our world that it must be about the 11th hour, but perhaps it's, perhaps it's only the ninth. It's enough to know that, Lord, you know the hour. You know the time, the day. So, Lord, teach us to trust you. Teach us, God, to be content. Teach us, Lord, to do all that we can uh, to tell others about Jesus Christ. Whatever that hour is, Lord, and whatever hour it is right now, God, we believe that you are looking for those that will help in the harvest. Those, God, uh, that will serve you. And we desire to be faithful servants, God. We want you to use us, Lord, as a church and as families, as individuals. God, we want you to use us. 
So we pray that you'd speak to us today. Call us out of our idleness. Call us, Lord, out of our preoccupation with other things. God, use us to work in your vineyard. Thank you for your promise, Lord, that you will build your church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. God, remind us that we are those that you use to build your church. Reveal to all of us that each one of us has a place where we can serve you in the body of Christ. God, I pray that you'd anoint me to preach, to say that you want what you want to be said. Give us ears, Lord, to hear, the faith to make an appropriate response, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, this morning, I want to transition, as I've said, and I want to begin to talk about the third way that God invites us to participate uh, in the harvest which is uh, serving in ministry, particularly, I believe, particularly ministry in uh, the local church. And and before you get too nervous this morning, I want to tell you, I'm not going to ask you to sign up for anything this morning, all right? So everybody just breathe a sigh of relief real quick. Say, I'm glad. (laughs) I'm not going to ask you to sign up for anything this morning. In fact, I only intend to introduce this by way of this passage uh, this morning. So if you'll give me your attention for just a few minutes... Um, I'm going to make some quick points about this passage, and then we're on our way. Look at your neighbor and say, I've heard that before. (laughs) This time I mean it, though, all right? First point is this. God needs folks to work in his church. God needs folks (laughs) to work in his vineyard, to labor uh, in his church. It's dangerous. I know, understand that it's dangerous to read too much into all of the details of the parables and the stories uh, that Jesus told because sometimes that can get you in trouble. Sometimes uh, you can come away with meanings that God never intended from those parables. So I've seen people parse parables and say, well, this represents that. This, and I think, no, Jesus is telling a, a big picture kind of story. And so you can get into trouble parsing things uh, too much. But having said that, I do think that there is significance in the fact that Jesus uses a vineyard as the setting for this parable because to me, at least, it implies a context for our involvement in the kingdom or our participation in the harvest that is different than the context that we've been talking about. We've been talking about evangelism. And that God sends us into the world as witnesses to tell others about Jesus Christ. And in evangelism, the, the context is, is usually a, illustrated by a, a field of grain or, or wheat. And so we're all called to be witnesses. That's the work of evangelism, to go into the world. And that's often illustrated as a, as a field of grain, uh, to win souls. However, this story refers to a vineyard. Um, it's a different context, and, and it suggests, at least to me, a different venue for our involvement and our participation uh, in the last days. In fact, as most of you already know, a vineyard or a, a grapevine is the Bible's symbolic language for Israel. And by extension, uh, the church, because we have been grafted into that vine. And so a vineyard is biblical symbolism for the church or the people uh, of God. So the implication is that there is work for us to do beyond, beyond the work of evangelism, 
beyond going into the world and being witnesses for Jesus Christ, God also calls us to serve in His vineyard, that there is work for us to do in the harvest that is related to the care and the ministry of, of the local church and to the body of Christ. And without a doubt, that work is primarily the work that God accomplishes Himself through the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 1. He said, I am the true vine. And he said, and my Father is the vine dresser. In other words, it's the Father that takes care of the vine. The Father is involved in the life and the care and the ministry to uh, the vine. However, God's Spirit, how many knows God's Spirit works through God's people? And we understand that everything that takes place in a church could not happen unless, unless there are people doing it. I know that's a little bit elementary for you this morning, but uh, maybe it's a light bulb moment for some of us. Is that You know, everything that happens in a church, that people have to do it. People have to be involved uh, doing it from... Uh, cleaning the church, to nursery, to running sound, to teaching classes, to uh, changing diapers, you know, whatever it is, anything that happens in a church, people have to do it. People have to be involved in, in the ministry of the church. Therefore, God is always looking for people to help do what He wants done in any church because He has to accomplish it through people. He needs folks that are willing to work in the church, willing to work in his vineyard. There is, a, there is a reason that the master goes repeatedly to look for workers in the marketplace. Can you imagine? Um, uh, can you imagine why he goes early in the morning? And then after he goes early in the morning, it says, that then he returns at about the, at the third hour. Then he comes back at the sixth hour. He's still what? He's still looking for workers for his vineyard. He comes back then at the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and still again at the eleventh hour, God is constantly looking for workers for his vineyards. People that are willing to work. Can you imagine why it is that he has to go repeatedly to the marketplace to look for workers? It's because there is always more work than there is workers. It's always more work than there are workers. In fact, I have a theory about this passage. I can't prove it, but I suspect that the reason that the master had to return so many times to recruit workers is because he was trying to find volunteers for the nursery. <laughs> so he had to go back <laughs> the third hour and the sixth. Seriously, I need some workers for the nursery. Somebody's got to keep those babies amen <laughs> you'll laugh but you laugh because why because you know it's true because there's always more work to be done there's always more work than there are workers and god bless everybody who serves in the nursery can you say amen god bless everybody that serves in the nursery god bless everyone who does anything in the church they, they, you, I, say, I say they, but I'm talking to y'all, all right? So y'all are what makes the church work. And yet it's, it's estimated that 
that 80% of what a church does is done by 20% of the people who attend that church. Because there's always more work than there are workers. No wonder the church is always looking for workers. No wonder the Lord is always looking for volunteers. No wonder the master is always going back repeatedly and saying, I need laborers for the vineyard. I need, I need those that will serve and they that will work in the vineyards. And, that's, and listen, that's only to sustain what is already being done. Now think about this. What else, what else could be done if we had more workers to do it? What, what might be possible if we had others that would work and could work? And, and when you consider the implication of, of that question, when you think about that question, then you begin to understand why, why it really was that Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. It's, it's not that he was complaining. It was that he was casting vision. He was saying, look, the harvest is so big. Imagine what more we could do if there were more workers. He wasn't just trying to fill positions. He was saying, hey, there's, there's more out there that we could do if we had more people that were, that were willing to work. He was saying there is so much more that is possible. There is so much more that we could be doing. And I believe that, that we need to learn that lesson in the church and stop thinking about, stop thinking about how to keep what we already have and start thinking about how to get more of what God wants to give to us. Isn't that amazing? Just stop thinking about how do we just keep what we've got. Let's start thinking about what all God wants to do with us. How much more is possible if if he had the workers and the laborers to serve in his, in his vineyard. The fact that the master went repeatedly to find workers underscores the urgency of the work to be done. The urgency of the work, and it emphasizes how much more he could accomplish, how much more he could do if he had the people uh, to be able to do it. So the master makes multiple trips to the marketplace because there is more work than there is work or that there are workers but his repeated trips to to look for workers also suggest another important lesson for us about serving and that is this that God is God is looking for workers not necessarily professionals you see we sometimes make the mistake of, of thinking that the ministry is for the professionals it's the one that's been to Bible college. It's the one that's been to seminary. It's the one that's been trained to do to do that. But in reality, that's just many times that's an excuse for us not working in the vineyard. The master, the ma did you notice here? The master never takes out a want ad. He, he never conducts a, an interview, right? He never asks any of these workers how much experience they have what they've done uh, in the past. He doesn't take out a want ad. He doesn't conduct an interview. And he turns no one away, does he? In other words, he's not looking for professionals. He's looking for workers. He's, he's not looking for those that say, hey, I've got the qualifications to do this. He's looking for those who are saying, I'm available to do this. I'm willing to work. I'm willing to serve. And can I tell you this morning that that's who God still is looking for. He, 
He's not looking for professionals. He'll take professionals. But listen, he'll take anybody who has a willingness and an availability to serve him. He turns no one, he turns no one away. He's looking for those that will do the work of ministry. And then there's just, there's only one final point I want to point out here. Um, see, I told you I was going to go fast this morning. And it, and it goes back to something I've mentioned several times before already. The fact that he goes repeatedly to the marketplace indicates there's, there's more work than there are workers. That he's, he's not just looking for professionals. He's looking for anybody who's, who will work, who's available, who's willing. And, and it also illustrates the urgency of the fact that it was getting late. And the time was, was short. It, it may be, as I've already said earlier, it may be that in our world that we're in the 11th hour. And I don't know. God knows that, doesn't he? And I'm thankful that God knows that. I, mean, I'm, I may think it's 11.59 and God's saying, no, no, it's you know, like 10.30. And uh, we've still got, there's still a lot of things that have to take place. Uh, it may be that I say, you know, man, I think we're at 11.30 and God say, no, 11.58. He said 11.58. God knows the time, doesn't he? God knows the hour. And what's more, he's saying the time is urgent. We have no time to waste. No time to, to play around. But no matter what time it is, now here's what I want you to see this morning. No matter what time it is, it's never too late to start serving. It's never too late to do something for Jesus Christ. That there are some that are here this morning that you started serving early in the morning. And you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, you jumped right in and you began to serve. Some came along early, the third hour, the sixth hour, you jumped in and began serving. Some maybe a little bit later, ninth hour. Some, now it's the 11th hour and you're saying, well, it's just it's too late for me to get involved. Listen, it's never too late to get involved in what God is doing. I said, it's never too late to get involved in what God is doing. The urgency of the times in which we live. The things that are going on in our world around us, in fact, makes it more critical for everybody to find a place to serve in the body of Christ. That all hands are on deck. <laughs> that everybody is at battle stations and that everyone is willing to give their energy and their effort to serve in God's vineyard because the time is, is very short.